Hello, and welcome to Online and Inspired, a weekly podcast for educators, parents, and those leading the way in the future of learning. I'm Emily Smith, founder and CEO of Teleteachers. And I'm Marissa Rothermel, special education teacher extraordinaire, or mommy, as my daughter calls me. We are on a mission to live inspired always and talk about our jobs as education innovators, aka modern day educators navigating all the things. We are here as pioneers in online education, firmly set in our beliefs in equity, equality, and balance in all things. We are proud educators, proud parents, and we are here with you every week to talk about how we embrace it all, from ed tech news to uh uh-ohs and boo-boos. Thank you for listening today. Please be sure to subscribe. In everything that we do, we strive to bring levity to the conversation. If you're not leaving this podcast with the same feeling you leave the workroom after some juicy banter we all love, we're doing something wrong. We're moving the water cooler conversation online. So let's get to chatting. Are you ready, Marissa? I'm ready, Emily. I'm caffeinated and committed. Let's talk online and inspired. Good afternoon. It is Monday, August 15th, 2022. This is Marissa Rothermel here with Emily Smith. We are online and inspired a podcast through Teleteachers Inc. We are so happy that you are here today and let's get this party started. Hi, Emily. How are you? I am extra inspired this morning. Did you see my swag that I'm uh, bringing to our podcast? I see your swag. You have amazing swag. You have you have teleteacher swag on a new hat with the the living inspired logo, which is totally my favorite thing. I think this is the one. Oh, this is the camping one. We'll have yes. to post this on on the socials. This is the camping logo. We also have the the bus logo, like the mm-hmm. van living life. Uh, live inspired logo so you know just trying to trying to keep it real today because uh sounds like you and I both had some exhausting uh weekends with our little ones who um you know are starting to not be not be the best sleepers anymore yeah (laughs) yeah I want to hear all about yours but in a nutshell mine had a nightmare last night and it was at really inconvenient timing and I don't know how to say that other than mommy made the choice to stay up too late because she just needed some de-stress time and just as I'm going to bed at 1 30 in the morning the child has a nightmare And like not a nightmare where she can self-soothe, a nightmare where she's attempting to leave her crib, a nightmare where she's yelling my name. So it cannot be like, hey, you know, chill out in five minutes. I tried that. A, have to go in and comfort her. So it took another hour. So I didn't get to bed till 2.30 in the morning last night. And there's not enough coffee in the world uh, to keep me awake right now. (laughs) I'm sorry. It's okay. I hear you. I feel you. It's hard. Yeah. Um, and uh, Maddie, is is she still being an escape artist? Is that what I, I heard? Oh, yes, she is. Mm-hmm. Um, she is, um, you know, I just love it so much. Um, and I know that it's a time that is passing. Mm-hmm. So the, it's a perfect descriptor of her personality because I just imagine she is waking up in her crib one, two o'clock in the morning. And she's like, ah. Oh, no, I'm in here by myself. This isn't going to fly, mom. So she gets out of her crib somehow, opens the door. Not this. She doesn't just come into my room. She lets the dog out on her way, 
<gasps> opens Ocean's cage, lets out our, our black lab, one-year-old puppy, um, and then uh, barrels through the door, turns around, slams the door, and then just barges over um, and says, <laughs> Mama, Mama, Agua, Agua, you know, because we can't just get in bed. Like we have to get in bed and we have to have our sippy full of water. But then, you know, it's it's not a good habit. And I've decided that I can't allow it anymore. But just to see like this little human that you've created laying yeah. in bed next to you, it's hard to give that up, but sleep and rest. Sleep and rest. First. Yep. And the longer it goes on, the longer that you allow it, the harder it'll be to break, unfortunately. Yeah. Oh, but it's so darn cute. I can't. It's so cute. See, we live in a two-story house and our room is on the bottom floor and hers is on the top floor. So I am ultra terrified of ever letting her like even escape her room. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, she's great on the stairs. Don't get me wrong. And I leave, you know, like uh, um, battery operated candles on all night so that there's light in there in case anyone gets up in the middle of the night. So it's not like she'd be walking around in the dark necessarily, but uh yeah, I'm just not ready for that. I'm just not ready for yeah. her to be climbing it, but it's so darn cute. But we're traveling in September for a wedding and we'll have to do the little bed sharing thing then. And I am super excited for it. <laughs> like she's so cute. You know, that cuddle time is just is priceless. And I don't know. We, even when she had her nightmare last night, I was like, oh, we could bring her in bed. But then if I have to get up, then she'll get up. And then my day can yeah. start even earlier. And yeah. No bueno. No No bueno. No bueno. That's right. Uh, But here's the more exciting thing. Did I hear that a little rebellious Emily got out this weekend? Did you do something brave and exciting? Oh, she did. She did. (laughs) What went on? (laughs) Well, I mean, this is about, this is the extent of of my uh, crazy at the moment, but you know how much I adore my grandmother Jones. Mm-hmm. Um, my my dad's mom. I love all of my grandparents. Um, but uh, her and I have such a special bond. We over the pandemic really bonded because we were chatting every week with the intention of her. I mean, she shared all of her stories, and we talked about this last week or the week before on the podcast. But um, you know how sharing all of those stories. It's really a vision and the desire of mine to someday write a book about all of her wonderful stories and the journey that she's had throughout her life. She's just an incredible, amazing woman that I love so dearly. And I have been one of these people that has a Pinterest board of small little tattoos. And, you know, I've had this board for like five, six years and have been just totally terrified to do anything. And then I, I got a letter from my grandmother over the weekend and she was sending me some pictures that we hope to include in the book someday from her childhood. And she signed it. Grandma Max, her name's Maxine, but she goes by Max. Everybody calls her Max. And, um, I thought that is, that is so cute. Just her little handwritten Max. And so I got that on my arm right here. Oh my gosh. You can't see because it's my virtual background. You have your virtual background. That's okay. Oh, Oh, you can't see. Oh, I can see. see. Oh my, that's adorable. Like right in the the crook of your arm. That's so cute. 
You're carrying um, her with her or with you. That's so beautiful. Yeah. So I, I, so I texted her before I did it and I said, grandma, how do you feel about tattoos? And she said, well, I've never really cared for them, but you know, I think that they can be cute and dainty and whatever. And so I, after I, I showed her, well, first of all, I, um, I told my dad, I sent my dad a picture. He was the first one. My mom still doesn't know. So sorry, mom, you're hearing <laughs> sorry, mom. It on the podcast, <laughs> but I sent my dad a, a picture and I said, what do you think, dad? Uh, do you like it? He responded back. Sure. Sure. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's really sweet that you're, you know, trying to accept me and um, my little baby dainty tattoo. It's um, beautiful. <laughs> it's very elegant and very tiny and tasteful. I love it. Good for you. What did you think of getting the tattoo, the whole experience? Oh, I was mortified. I was not mortified. I was terrified. Terrified. Um, terrified. Yes. Um, but the guy was really great. And he was apparently an artist in residence. Um from New Zealand. So that was pretty cool. We now follow each each other on Instagram. Um, But yeah, you know, just trying to keep life interesting over here. That Hey man, living inspired. I love it. I absolutely adore it. That's I've been uh, my, my future sister-in-law. She got a tattoo this weekend and I was looking at it and she's had, she's got several tattoos now. And I'm sitting there. I'm like, you know, it's been a long time. I have one, but I think I'm I'm getting that itch for a second one. Are you? <laughs> I am. I am. It's been a long time. Uh, and I always thought, you know, maybe I'd get one second one, but uh, I'm starting to get that itch and I'm starting to, to do the dreaming of like, oh, what would I get? Where would I get it? That kind of thing. So I'm glad that you kind of, I could, I can live vicariously through you for now, <laughs> but uh, wow, that's so exciting. And, and way to go dad for trying to support <laughs> Sure. <laughs> sure. 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 Yep. Yep. <laughs> my parents are not tattoo fans, even though I have one. And I sent a message and my dad's like, what are you doing to your body? <laughs> I was like, eh, it's Disney. You're, you'll, you'll come around. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I mean, how, if it's, if it's something you're so connected to, I mean, yeah. how can you, I mean, that's it. That's it. So as I'm, as I'm asking the guy about all of this and, you know, signing the waiver and making sure I understand the process, I'm like, so tell me about what I would need to do if I don't like it. How many sessions of laser removal do you think it would take? And there, I think I was just one of these customers. They're like, get out of here, lady. Like, right. Seriously. It's not even on I you yet. It. I did it. Um, and it keeps life exciting, which, um, uh, I don't know if you've seen the Bama rush on TikTok no, over the last couple this? of weeks. No, it's only it's 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 well, maybe it's my for you page or whatever, but it's <laughs> everything that I see is all about Bama rush on TikTok. It's I, I was never a part of this. I was married at 19. So there was no sorority rush mm-hmm. or opportunity <laughs> for me. Right. Um, uh, which goes back to, you know, the stories that you'll hear on a toast and a tail. Um, <laughs> if you choose to listen to our shared episode, I'm going to continue to plug that. For I love that. For you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, all of these sorority girls at University of Alabama are posting on TikTok uh, the rush process, which I had no idea. It was so extravagant and uh, wow, like I don't even... What are they doing? What kind of activities? I'm obviously looking this up as soon as we hang up, but still what kind of activities? 
well, I guess sorority rush activities, which I don't know what that really means, but apparently they go house to house and they, you know, have all these cute outfits. And uh, that was their thing as they posted an OOTD every day. And it seemed like it lasted for a week or so, but you talk about all of these coordinated dance moves. Like they've got all of these girls that are out there trying to rush a certain sorority. Oh my um, gosh. I don't know. Maybe our guest today was in a sorority and can shed maybe more Maybe she light will. Yeah, maybe she was. Is, so. Yeah. Well, let's see. On that note, on that note, I will start letting her into the room right now. I'm so excited to have her on. Um, I am too. <laughs> And uh, so we are welcoming on right now, Jesse Ginsburg, who is sensory.slp, I believe is how it is on Instagram. Super awesome work. I know uh, Emily is just overly giddy with having you on today. So we really appreciate your time. Uh, how are you today? Welcome. Hi, thank you so much. I'm great. How are you guys? Tired is what we were just discussing, but aside yeah. from that, we're rocking it. <laughs> yeah, I feel you. We were uh, wrapping up a conversation about sororities, and uh, any chance that you were in one, we were not. I was actually, but it wasn't a national sorority. It was like it's it was called a local sorority, meaning it was the only one of its kind on my, and it was only on my college campus, which was really tiny. Yeah. So it was like not. Hey, welcome. Here's all this cute stuff. It was like haze, 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 no sleep for a semester. Um, bad grades, and you like hate them by the time you end up finishing pledging. But um still... so you have more insight than we do because we're just discussing, I guess uh Bama Rush is trending on TikTok. And so uh, we're, it's just so outside of our wheel wheelhouse that it sounds like you might be a little bit more of our expert. <laughs> maybe, maybe like a midpoint, but a midpoint. <laughs> yeah, Very have good. a big Disneyland trip planned in a couple of weeks, actually, with a few of my best friends from, from college, from my sorority with all of our kids, it's like a zillion kids in a house and it'll be fun. Oh, that's oh, going to no, be you amazing. Said Disney. Yeah. You said Marissa is obsessed with Disney. So she's going to tell you, you know, everything you need to know if there's something that you, you know. Have you been to, to Disneyland know. before? It's been, I mean, I live so close. It's like mm -hmm. embarrassing how little I go. I haven't been since college, I think. Um, but yeah, it's just that with the kids, the, I have three kids and I'm just worried about doing, we're supposed to do two days. And I'm like, is that too much? No, oh, you got this. You've got this. It's going to be so much fun. It's going to be totally memory making. You're going to have such a wonderful time. It'll be so special for the kids too. Yeah. So good for you. Awesome. I'm hoping that you post some photos from that so I can live vicariously. <laughs> I don't know when I'm getting back to Disney. So uh, yeah. Boy, see, I'll live, live through Emily for this past weekend, live through you for Disney. I got to get out and do something cool. <laughs> Evidently. But uh, so, Jesse, uh, let's let's get our conversation started. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, who are you and what you do? Yeah, I am Jesse Ginsburg. I am a sensory integration trained speech language pathologist and got a few jobs. I own a top rated clinic here in Los Angeles for speech therapy. And that was kind of my first big thing I went into. And 
now I have online programs for both therapists and parents who want to learn how to support kids communication using sensory strategies. And I'm a mom. So the hardest <laughs> job of all, <laughs> at least the most tiring. <laughs> yes. So how did you get into this line of of sensory integration SLP? I mean, I'm a huge fan because of that. I mean, sensory is the basis of just about everything, in my opinion. So how did you you. get this? (laughs) How did you get this started? Where, you know, what, what drove you? I'm so curious. Yeah, I think that really the seed of sensory was planted. And when I graduated college, I had no idea what I wanted to do but I had enough hours to get my speech language pathology assistant license. So I applied to like a zillion jobs, got one interview. Thank God. (laughs) Yeah, but you got it. And I ended up getting hired at this multidisciplinary clinic here in Los Angeles, really big clinic, lots of different types of therapies. And that was my first time ever working with autistic kids. Okay. And I had this little boy I would see every Monday at nine, three-year-old autistic boy, non-speaking, so much energy, like run, it would run into the clinic, go into all the therapy rooms, like very hard to keep up with him. <laughs> and I would see him for our sessions were three hours straight three hours every Monday, I would see him until lunch and it was billed under floor time therapy. So it was kind of a different type of funding. Um, and it was like, like, it was a really hard way to get into the profession. Was it it like ABA? Actually, I would consider it the opposite of ABA. Okay. (laughs) Cool. Um, so yeah, floor time therapy is all about like following a child's lead and building intrinsic motivation and engagement and connection. So it's a lot less, um, like based on, it's really not based on any kind of, you know, reward in any Mm -hmm. way. Um, it's more really just like, how can I get this kid in and just essentially like play with them and connect with them. I love that so much. That's definitely how I taught in classroom, especially with the littles is, you know, you follow the kids lead. I always called it the be the cookie approach, which is uh, meaning just like become their favorite thing, figure out what drives them and use that. So they want to be with you. And, and from there you can make a million gains. And I always struggled with ABA because it was so, so scripted. (laughs) So, so tough. It's like the, the argument you got in with your husband, which is like, did you do the dishes? No, I didn't know you, you wanted me to do the dishes. Well, I want you to want to do the dishes. Like (laughs) I want you to just do them. I want you to want to do them. You know, you in my house yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, I want you to want to interact with me. It's like, I want you to communicate and play with me, not because you're going to get something for it, but because I'm fun and funny and you like being around me, you know, be the cookie. See what I'm yeah. saying? I like this. I'm going to use that. <laughs> so That's... you use this experience to kind of craft, you know, what, what you, where you wanted to go within the field? Yeah. So, I mean, this little boy, it was just like every week had me scratching my head because I just had no idea how can I, you know, build his attention as his engagement. And he wasn't using language. And it was like, I was trying new things every week. Mm-hmm. And 
my supervisor came up to me one week and said, okay, well, for this week's supervisor's meeting, there were like 20 of them, we want to see a video of this boy. And I was like, are you sure? Because <laughs> this is really, I don't feel this is accurately reflecting my how I am as a therapist, I was terrified. It was, it was the last kid I would have chosen to be um, reviewed on. So I, I got this video of him, which I actually have, and I still use when I present because it's so cool to see, but I had him getting up on the little table and he was jumping into my arms and we were crashing down on the ground together. And he was saying, go and down. And it was by far the most engaged I'd ever seen him. And I was so excited. So I gave them that video and I just couldn't wait for them to see it because everyone knew this kid because he was the pop into all the rooms kind of kid. And then she came back to me and she said, so why'd you let him stand on the table? Uh, that was the feedback. Oh my god! Oh no! And it just killed a piece of my soul that day because I was so excited and so disheartened that that moment, that connection, wasn't seen. Because to me, like, who cares? He's standing on a table that's eighteen inches off the floor. Right? You know? Couldn't agree yeah. more. <laughs> so I ended up really learning so much more about sensory and engaging kids through sensory activities after that because I saw what big of a difference it made for him. So later on, when I I went back to grad school, opened my private practice, and I just thought I had to learn, keep learning more. So I was just taking like every course you possibly could. And then finally, I decided to make the decision to go back and actually get my sensory integration certificate, which is actually through the Division of Occupational Therapy at Mm -hmm. University of Southern California, but they let a few other professionals sneak in. So I went through that. I was pregnant, like having contractions, taking exams. It was a whole thing, but talk about sensory overload. That's amazing. So do you have people working in your clinic with you that you're, you're training on sensory integrated? Like, what does that look like in your day to day? How, how are you using that in your practice? If people, I mean, even going further, if, you know, there are SLPs who want to learn more about sensory and bringing it to speech, what would you recommend? Yeah. So we use a ton in our clinic. We have other therapists here. Everyone's, you know, gone through my trainings in sensory and we've done a lot of that. We have a gym here in our clinic, which I think is getting to be more and more common, although a lot of SLPs don't have access to gyms but just having that extra bit of space really helps. But it's kind of funny because it's, it's funny you ask that because it took so long for me to really be able to integrate what I was doing, the clinic, the online programs in my head, because they felt so, they felt like completely different businesses because, mm-hmm. you know, we have brick and mortar online, everything's different, completely different employees for each business. And it's really been a huge goal of mine to be able to better integrate the two, you know, so that our therapists here are getting all of those trainings and getting more support as well. But I think for a lot of SLPs, the first place they start to learn about sensory is from collaborating with occupational therapists, because that's really the field that's known to be the, you know, specialists on sensory. 
But to me, it was like, since we have to be regulated to communicate. So how could we possibly do our job as speech language pathologists if we can't get our kids regulated? If your body's not regulated, then you cannot, you're not learning ready. So you need to set the kid up for success. And that means, you know, having a crash mat or a calming space or a whatever that kid's sensory needs are before you're going to try to help them speak or communicate however they, they, they communicate. I could not agree more. And I wish more people put value in that. And I will tell you going through all of my schooling, it was not emphasized enough. And I just got so lucky to meet some wonderful OTs along the way who taught me so much. Uh, and it's, it's just so cool what you're doing. It's just, it's Thank wonderful. You. Yeah. I really, a- I really hope that this framework that you're establishing can be, you know, used or leveraged into the programming for how we're training clinicians across the country, around the world, even, um, you know, as um, I started my career path as well as a, and before I was a, a fully certified SLP, I was working in classrooms as they, they called it a speech uh, uh, implementer where in this, I was in Missouri and, you know, you don't know what you're, I, I totally, you know, you kind of just thrown in. I love the story of, you know, what you shared of three hours. Okay. Well, we'll figure this out together. But some of the best mentors that, that I had, you know, I, in those types of moments, they're like, okay, let's, let's get them on a swing. Let's um, do, do something different than just, you know, what you think when you, when you think of speech therapy and how can we turn what we think of speech therapy totally on its head. So I just, I just commend you for just uh, reframing this point of reference in our field. Thank you. Yeah. I think, you know, people get so distracted by, oh, I have these goals and I have to take this data. So they think that sessions need to look a certain way in order to achieve that. When in reality, the way we get kids to accomplish their goals is by getting them to learn. How do we get them to learn? We get them to engage with us. How do we get them to engage? We get them to be regulated. So, you know, it's a lot more about, um, it's not what we do, it's how we do it, you know, kind of mentality that it's not about the activity. It's how are we doing the activity to get the child regulated, engaged and communicating and then meeting their goals. Right. And how much communication can you get in that process? For example, you're, you're jumping off the table story. You know what I mean? He's saying go, he's saying down, we've got concepts, we have action words there, you know, he's (laughs) making a request, you know, there's so much there and it's, it's, it always cracks me up when it's the focus of like, oh, but he's standing on a table. I'm like, in the scheme of things, is this yeah. really what's important right now? Yeah. Uh, I'm like, well, you should see my parenting then. Because- <laughs> let's hope, let's hope that there's a new generation of supervisors coming around. I, yeah, <laughs> that can be more understanding of this. Can I just ask a quick question of, where you spend your time these days. I'm just so intrigued to hear about your journey from being a speech pathologist into being a speech pathologist and a business owner across multiple businesses. That's, I I just can't wait to hear more about that. Sorry if I'm, sorry if Marissa knows that I just go off script and she gives me like 
instructions that I don't follow. So that's like one of my favorite, that's <laughs> one of my favorite questions to ask people also. So it's funny you asked me that. Um, so I'm really working on building teams in both businesses. And I think what you learn is that like the more you hold on to every little thing, the less you're going to be able to grow and the less ultimately you're going to be able to serve people, right? Our goal is to serve more people and serve them well. And when I spread myself too thin, I can't do that. So we have just over the last few years, put this incredible leadership team in place in our clinic where we have you know, an, an office administrator, a clinic director, a speech and language program director who helps like all of the clinicians who need help and the admin all gets taken care of. So there's very little I have to do to keep our clinic running. Like I'm, I don't have to be here. I am always here, but <laughs> I don't have to be making all the day-to-day decisions. You know, I really just help more with big picture and coming in and, and training and things like that. But it, it, I had to do that in order to go into online because online, like anyone knows who started a business is like all consuming and can get very time consuming very quickly. So, um, you know, but I built out a team in that online business really quickly also. So we have a, a leadership team in place on that side as well. So I, oh my gosh, I heard an author talking on a podcast once and he, I wish I, I knew who it was, but he said that it's funny that the more you like get more known for doing the things that you did, the more it takes you away from continuing to do that thing. <laughs> so, um, you know, I'll get asked to speak a lot, but it, I can't say yes to everything anymore because then it takes me away from what my goal is, you know, and there's things I have to do, um, like show up for these businesses and be visible and bring people into our audience. And we do a ton of free workshops. We have like usually one at least every month. So I think for me, just knowing my, what my role needs to be and, and everyone has an equally important role in our team. You know, the, the ship sinks or rises together, if that's even a saying. I totally get it. Even if it's not a saying, <laughs> <laughs> I get the imagery for sure. How do people find out about the workshops you're offering? social media usually is where I talk about them. Okay. Okay. Yeah. See, we, we, yeah. you know, we're your Instagram stalkers, but, uh, you know, I didn't know if there was a special place we should be looking to. I would say that's pretty much where, where I talk about all that stuff, but yeah, there's just so much need for this information and we do want it to be accessible. I know that not everyone is ready or prepared to invest in an actual program, you know, so we try to do a lot of free workshops. That's amazing and and so awesome. I know that I will be excited to share out some of that information with uh, the the families we work with and the uh, educators we work with. Um, so, with all that you have going on, how do you maintain a work life balance? Dun, dun, dun. That's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> I think that I go. I don't know how you guys feel about this, but I get so torn between the there is no such thing but then I really want there to be a thing. 
So I think that I've learned a few practices that I try to use that really help me. And one of those is that be where you are mentality. Mm. You know, I used to work really long hours at the clinic when I first opened the first couple of years, I was working like seven to seven, actually treating, um, and then going home and doing admin. And even as I started to have kids, you know, I was still working a lot of hours and I would go home to like a baby and still have my mind completely on work, trying to do work while, you know, he is there. And it's one of those things where you start to feel resentful of your job for allowing it to take over that much of your life. But then I think you also feel resentful as like, I didn't expect myself to be this kind of parent. You know, I expected myself to be a better parent. I think we all probably have those thoughts. Every day, (laughs) every day. I think the last one, I was like two minutes ago. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Okay. So we're not alone here. So now it's this kind of, okay, well, when I'm home, I'm home. When I'm at work, I'm at work. So really try with the, the exception of the occasional TikTok or Instagram reel that I will do at home. But usually my kids are like making a cameo somewhere in there. So it's just that mentality of, okay, done for the day, going home to be at home. And with that, just knowing how to set up my priorities of the day has really helped. It's like that, um, gosh, that analogy you guys have probably heard about if you had a vase and then you had rocks, pebbles, and sand, if you start putting all the sand in first and then the pebbles, you'll never fit the rocks in. So it's, you have to put the rocks in first, then the pebbles, then the sand. But I think so much of us get caught up in this filling our whole day with sand that we go the whole day, week, months, even years without putting our rocks in first. So I go into every day knowing what are my rocks? What are my priorities? What really needs to get done? And those are the things that, you know, are really going to move the needle forward for you in your life, whether that's personally or professionally. So if I sit down at my computer in the middle of the day at work and I go, okay, what should I work on next? To me, that's a sign that I need to shut my laptop and go because I usually plan my days and I know what needs to get done. And if I'm in a place where I'm like, I'm not sure to me, that's not as good of a use of my time. That is something I'm learning right, like right now right now is like, okay, if I sit down and say, okay, Hey, what's next? That means I should be doing something else because I know I've planned all of this out. You know, especially once you're a parent, you get that like constant state of scheduling where everyone is doing certain things at certain times. And Emily, I can't believe you're not cracking up right now with your color coded schedules and and you're like every moment uh, planned out of every day. But um, yeah, that's, I love that base analogy. I've never heard of that. Sorry. I got excited. (laughs) Yeah, no, I love it. I love it too. Such a game changer to think about. So I think like knowing what your rocks are. And then for me, just also, I think like on the parenting front, it's just been really trying to figure out what is meaningful for both me and my kids that I should be a part of, you know, because I always pictured being the type of parent to pick up my kids from school. Okay. I drive them to school. It takes me an hour and a half. I live in LA and nothing's close. There's always traffic. So I can't possibly get into my office at nine 30. And then they've got a couple minimum days every week. I can't end my day at one. You know, that's just not, 
realistic. So my mom does it. So great grandma relationship with the kids. But um, and then they've just got a lot of extracurriculars. So it's like, yes, I want to be at the once a week soccer practice and then the once a week games or I'll be at the occasional swimming lessons. I don't have to be there twice a week. So I think just like figuring out what is really meaningful and then trying to prioritize that. That's fantastic. That is. And it's so real. You know what I mean? And and you do fall into like this, this parental guilt trap where you're like, you feel like you have to be there for absolutely every single thing and you don't want to let them go. But you also have to remember, like, you're doing great things in the world, too. And you need to make sure you continue to do those great things for, you know, you're, to bring yourself joy and to help others and all of that kind of stuff, too. So uh, that's awesome. I love that. That's such a healthy mindset that you have. Thank you. You just reminded me there's this book called how to raise an adult. They're saying like, you know, all we do is raise children because we're so involved in their lives and we should be raising adults, but they talk about how you it's, it's like, you have to put on your own oxygen mask first. You have to take care of yourself before you can take care of other people. And it's like, what do you want your kids to remember in their lives? Do you want them to remember like standing on the sidelines and watching you every single day? Or do you want them to remember you as like someone who is always chasing after their dreams and and doing what's good in the world? And, you know, it's the idea of trying to inspire your kids by living your own actions. So speaking of living inspired, uh, you know, you're trying to, I mean, you're doing, you're doing so much and you're trying to stay balanced in all of this, which I love your strategies. What, what inspires you? What, what's behind all of this? What's behind the person? Um, what are you shooting for? Oh my gosh. I wish I knew the answer to that. (laughs) (laughs) I know, you know, professionally it's trying to it essentially changed the way that we support autistic kids throughout the world. I mean, that's like my big mission and what I do in my work. But I think that there's just so much more about like, you know, they say you don't want your identity to be your work or one thing, which I always find to be really difficult. But for me, one of the things that I think was really inspiring to me, I don't know if you guys have any, have ever done any work on figuring out what your core values are. My team is so tired of hearing about core values, but they're so important. And uh, yes, we love our core values, one of which is live inspired. (laughs) There we go. Okay. Because to me, I didn't know what that meant. And, you know, I share my my first two kids with my ex-husband, my babies with my fiance, who's also a speech pathologist. You guys probably know that. But um as I was going through divorce and therapy for myself, that's when I started learning about core values. And uh, the therapist said to me, you know, I want you to go home and figure out what your core values were, are and come back. And I was like, what does that mean? I don't even know what you're talking about. So I ended up doing this huge deep dive into what that meant. And that's where I realized like things felt really misaligned in my life because my core values really didn't align with my ex-husband's core values. And it's not like one of ours were good and one were bad. They're just different because everyone has different values. But to me, some of my big values are 
having freedom and flexibility and working on things I'm really passionate about. So for me, jumping into this online world, 100% risk was so worth it. But to him who like really wants like security, comfort, it's really hard. It was really hard for him to understand like my need to do that. So I just learned so much about myself and learning that. And then eventually learning that, you know, the more you can live your core values every day, the more fulfilled you're going to feel over time. So that was really, you know, life-changing for me. I love that. And don't you also feel like entrepreneurship just forces you to just through forces you through like these really tough internal struggles to, you know, just kind of come out on the other side and think, oh, well, that was a lot of learning in a short period of time. Yeah. If you don't like failing, you will not like starting a business. You know, it's like, that's just the biggest thing you need to be in as a business owner is adaptable and flexible and you can bend and you can't break. A lot of bending. <laughs> a lot of bending. I, 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 I'm so tempted to go down the the rabbit hole of like, how did you identify your core values? And like, you know, how do you even start having that conversation with yourself? But uh, that's, uh, that's so fascinating. And I think you've given some really kind of amazing advice about to people like about figuring out just kind of who you are and taking that time and, and figuring out that reflective piece. Um, and so obviously the big question was, where do you want to go? But it sounds like you are kind of figuring that out as you go, which I also respect. It's not like there's this, you know, big far away dream. It's the, well, this is needed now. And, you know, I'll take the risks that are necessary to do that and, and figuring out, particularly in the online space, how to balance all of that and real life, because it's very easy to, to live in that world all the time. So yeah. I guess we talked a bit about your journey. We talked already about how you're personally living inspired and your work-life balance. Kind of off script here for, we have a lot of parent listeners. Can you offer any advice for our families who are listening, who kind of just need to know a little bit more about like what is sensory and how, whether their child is on the autism spectrum or they have a child with a a different thing going on, or even just a, a neurotypical child do you have any advice on kind of how to integrate sensory and what, what that is, what it looks like in the everyday world? Yeah, I think that, you know, as my oldest son is very hypersensitive, so we've had a lot of learning just even at home too. But I think that the biggest thing is really under trying to figure out what, you know, not just kids, but anyone, what types of sensory experiences they love and, and things that they don't love, right? Because the goal is not to increase their tolerance to whatever sensory input they really can't take or that makes them uncomfortable. The goal is to understand what those are and then accommodate them so that they don't have to feel that discomfort in the future. So for example, I posted this video and in the video, I pointed out these light covers I have we have in our office that are just like magnetic light covers that dim the lights a little bit. And I had a parent comment on that video. I just love the way people talk on the internet. (laughs) 
She said, if I had a kid with light sensitivity, I wouldn't buy those light covers. I'd buy a tanning bed. Oh my gosh. What? Like, okay, first of all, I hope you're not a parent or that you're (laughs) learning. It was just like, it was, I got, I got her point, which was, I'm going to try to, you know, make it so that my child isn't sensitive to light, but that's not how our brains work. You know, our brains are all very uniquely wired and there's certain things that really bother us. Like for me, you could not give me $1 million to spend 24 hours in a wool sweater. It's not happening. Okay. I don't care what you can do. And there's kids where it's like, you couldn't give them a trip to Disneyland for eating one bite of broccoli. You know, there's things that we have that are unique to us and they're a part of our sensory system. And our goal is not to increase someone's tolerance to those things. Like I don't need to wear wool in my life. That can be something that I pass up on. Can you make a t-shirt that explains that that's what sensory is. It's not to increase your tolerance to things you don't like. It's oh my God. I just need that screamed from every rooftop, every school building, everywhere. I have gone to bat for children before we, in, in, in a particular program that I will not name, the person that was in charge of the sensory activities wanted everyone to take off their shoes and socks and walk through pumpkin. And I was like, but why? Why? We have children who are sensory adverse. I have never in my whole life done that. It smelled so bad. (laughs) And I just, I didn't, I didn't win, obviously, because I know what the pumpkin and the feet mixture smells like, but I just didn't understand. And I was like, why are we doing this? What educational basis is this? We can completely avoid ever having to do this in our lives. Why? What are we gaining? And so what you're saying is that it's not to increase tolerance to things we don't love. I'm hearing you. I'm loving it. Please make a t-shirt. I'll buy eight. (laughs) (laughs) I will put them on all of my students. Yes. uh, I love that. I love that. I think that's so great. I think that one of the other really big misconceptions is let's, you know, once our kids get gets dysregulated, we'll help them. It's like, okay, but look at all the things we could have done proactively, which would have avoided them getting to this point. And that's something I don't think we're thinking enough about is how we can proactively use sensory strategies or breaks to help kids maintain a more optimal state of regulation throughout the day. So I kind of, when I teach, break it up into three different buckets of ways that we can help. And this could be for teachers, parents, therapists, anyone. Um, autistic people themselves or people with sensory differences themselves. But one is sensory strategies. So that's like something that we might actively be doing. So for that little boy, it was jumping off the table. You know, he's actively jumping off the table. Might be like sitting and bouncing on a yoga ball, something that they're actively doing. Or then the next one is environmental modifications. So How can we set up the environment to support whatever the child's sensory needs are? Maybe a child is really dysregulated when there's a lot of visual input. So having a space, not that it's easy for us if you're a parent, having a 
clean space with not a lot of distraction as opposed to like any elementary classroom you walk into where it's like every color under the rainbow is on the rug and every letter and every animal and every shape. And, you know, it's, it's a lot. So having like decreasing the amount of stimulation that might be an environmental modification or, um, you know, for kids using noise canceling earphones, for example, maybe when they're like walking through the halls at class because it gets really loud at school. And then the last one is adjustments to routines. So, you know, how can we change routines that the child has in order to better support their sensory needs, whether that is, you know, taking them to the playground before they go to school so that they could get some movement in. Maybe that's just taking the long way when they're walking into the classroom. Maybe that is when they're getting dressed in the morning, putting their shoes on one side of the room and their pants on another and their shirt somewhere else and having them run back and forth and put all their clothes on, you know, so just simple ways that we can change up the things that we're doing in order to better support their sensory needs. So as many school districts are starting their school year right now, if you offer, you know, if you plead, if you, if you said to everyone setting up their classroom space right now, if you, if you offered one piece of advice or one ask, what, what would you say? What would you say to teachers setting up their room for the first time for the new school year with sensory in mind? I love this platform. (laughs) (laughs) I think that because kids are So one of the main hesitations I hear in teachers is that like, well, will they all have such different needs? So I think that something that's really easy is just having like a a place in the room that just has less stimulation in general. So whether that's less visual stimulation, um, less sounds, less movement, you know, there's a lot happening in a classroom. And then you add the little people in there who are running around totally unpredictable. So I think like just having a space in general can be really helpful. But I mean, (laughs) the problem is that we want to do what's easy. And, you know, as parents, we want to do what's easy. As therapists, we want to do what's easy. But when we do what's easy, it's never what is the most beneficial in the long run. So I think like it, there is a really valuable piece in understanding each kid's unique preferences and just I think the other thing is just really honoring that because, you know, we could teach a kid to say, hey, I'm having trouble, you know, sitting down. I feel a little antsy. Can I stand in the back of the classroom right now? But without a teacher who's going to say, yes, go ahead. What is it for? So I think just honoring whatever that sensory need or difference is, is the most important ultimately. And that all goes right back to, you know, kind of knowing your individual student. And if they need to jump off an 18 inch table, then that's what they need to do. And that's okay because it's going to help them make progress. You know, uh, I love that. And having that quiet corner or that cozy corner or whatever that is, just that kind of break space uh, to to gather yourself before you're, you're learning ready again is, is just amazing advice. Amazing and advice. I'll say one more thing now that it's coming to me which is that I think that there is no substitute for a warm, supportive, nurturing relationship with another person. So if there's a child who's constantly dysregulated, um, one of the parents who just joined our sensory communication program 
said that the teacher has been putting her son into this room by himself to help him regulate where he's then urinating on himself Mm -hmm. basically every time. And that's the thing is a lot of kids aren't ready to self-regulate. They need to co-regulate, meaning they need us to help them regulate. So just like putting a kid off on their own in a less stimulating environment doesn't necessarily solve you know, whatever it is that's going on, but really making sure that the child feels safe and secure and has a really strong, warm, loving relationship with teachers and caregivers is going to be the best thing for them. The work that you're doing is so important. I mean, if, if anything, I think that sums it up right there, you know, just really teaching people how to build relationships um, and that that looks different with every kid and it's important and it has to be done. Yeah, absolutely. Not about isolating, about co-regulating. I love that. I love that. Mm -hmm. It's not just, oh, okay, well, you know, Jimmy's off in the corner now. He'll be fine. It's, Mm -hmm. there's still so much education that needs to happen in that moment and so much help you can provide to be that, that safe person for somebody, which is just beautiful. All right. Well, we have, we are wrapping up our, our time together with though we could do this all day for sure. Uh, so I have to ask one book and one rec- movie recommendation from you have anything. Okay. This is embarrassing, but, um, <laughs> okay. I would have to say the book that changed my life, which you either love him or you think he's the worst person is unleash the power within by Tony Robbins. You guys know Tony Robbins? I have heard of him, but I was going to say Emily's Emily's glowing over there. She does. No, I actually (laughs) have never read any of his books. And now that you said that you like this, I am going to read it. Oh, yeah. I think that was like the first kind of like, now I'm like obsessed with self-help type books. But I think that was (laughs) the first one I read. And it's really just the first time I think I realized that I have the power to control everything in my own life, like that kind of mentality. And I think it moves you from ever like being the victim to knowing that you have control. So long book, but really, really good. I will have to check that out. Yeah. And then I will say there, this movie that came to me was, is a documentary on Bill Gates and it was called Inside Bill's Brain. Maybe it was a series. I don't know. But that was another, it was just like one moment within this series that was really meaningful for me, which is when they were interviewing Bill Gates's assistant. And she said, Bill understands that time is finite. It's the only resource you can't buy more of. He knows he has the same 24 hours in a day everyone else does. And I just remember sitting there thinking, look what Bill Gates is doing with his 24 hours in a day. And here I am on like season 27 of the OC replays, you know, what am I doing? And it was this moment where I'm like, I, you know, I just like, gosh, I have to start using my time better. There's such like a, a, this precious amount of time in a day. And if Bill Gates can accomplish the things he has accomplished with his 24 hours, like, why am I wasting mine like this? I like that. I'm going to have to watch that. It definitely sounds uh, like something I would enjoy watching. I don't know if I'm going to relax while watching it because I might be like, I have to go make a to-do list right now. (laughs) I need to find a disease to cure right now. Exactly. Exactly. 
Uh, all right. Well, we are at the end of our hour. So how about one minute of self-promotion time? What's the message you want to leave everybody out or leave everybody on? And where can we find you on social media? Yeah, I think the easiest way is, well, obviously socialsensory.slp. I do a lot of lot of free trainings, like I said. So if you follow me, you'll find out about that. And also my fiance and I, Chris, have a podcast called Making the Shift. And that's really where we talk about neurodiversity affirming ways to support autistic kids. So that's great for all parents, teachers, therapists, et cetera. We will be sure to share that out. What a great listen for the beginning of the next school year. And, uh, you know, for parents who, who are just trying to figure out each day, you know, that's wonderful. What an awesome thing to do. And I'm so happy that it's you and your husband that are, that are putting that out. What a fun, pro- what a fun bonding project to do. Yes and no. Well, challenges. That is true. That is true. Good thing We're your learning. core values are in line. Yes, exactly. So, all right. Oh. Well, we really, really, really appreciate you joining us today. I have so many just wonderful notes to share about uh, all that you've taught me in the last hour. And I can't wait to uh, just get them out there to the people, <laughs> to all Thank of us. You. Yeah, thank amazing. you guys so much. We love your work. You're amazing. Uh, we're in your corner um, and uh, just so delighted to, to be connected. Well, thank you guys so much for having me. Thank you. Let's talk about the special education problem facing our nation. Seven million students need special education services, but over 98% of school districts can't find the staff that they need. On top of that, there are 14% fewer people entering the field. Whoa, it's no wonder teachers and providers are overwhelmed. Enter Teleteachers. We offer options. We can help fill in gaps in your special education teams, as well as help your teams monitor IEP goals and progress through our technology platform, Mira for Schools. We want to help special education teams get back to what matters the most, the students. Check us out online today at www.teleteachers.com or send an email to hello at teleteachers.com to find out more information. Tell them Marissa sent you. Thank you for joining us today. Take a deep breath. Remember, we, the education and parent community, work better together. We innovate better together, and we don't need to be in the same physical space to do it. We are online inspired, and we are so delighted that you have decided to listen in today. You can find us working to live our best lives online via our Facebook and Instagram pages. Search for online and inspired, where you can also find our personal handles and, of course, plenty of baby pictures. You can also visit our website, which features our swag shop at www.onlineandinspired.com. And if you are looking for position in online learning, please check out our website at www.teleteachers.com slash join.html and follow Teleteachers on Facebook or Instagram. Stay connected, stay inspired, and we'll see you next week.